week we started a new series. What is it? Spiritual gifts. That's right, unwrapping our spiritual gifts. And we started off the series last week by going through a series of questions and answers. You guys asked the question, and I gave you the answer. And we learned through that series of questions and answers that every believer has at least how many? At least one spiritual gift. Second, we learned that they come from who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, right. Third, we learned that no gift is superior to another. So my gift is equal with your gift, and your gift is equal with their gift. All gifts are equal. We also learned that every gift is valuable. It's needed, right? Just like you need your arm, uh, like you need your, your head, you need you know, every part of your body, right? So every gift is valuable. And then five, we learned that they are given for the common good, for building up the church. They are to minister to each other within the body of Christ. And we also learned that they can grow and change over time. Now today, we're going to address number five on this list. So we're going to get rid of all the other ones, Gavin. If you click that button, they'll just disappear. There you go. Let's focus on that one. They're for the common good, for building up the church. And in order to set the foundation for today's message, I've asked a few people to help me. They're going to help me with an object lesson. So those guys that I asked to help me, if you'll come up and come to this side of the stage. (laughs) And then I'm going to need a few girls. And I'm thinking my sister Dawn is perfect and my mom, so Dawn doesn't have to come on her own. And then Pam and Mona, Mona hates it when I call on her, so she can tag Team Tonette in if she wants. Um, I think that's good enough. Okay, so, well, I don't know, come down here. I'll give you some instructions in a minute. I don't know why you would think we're doing tug of war. All right, so you girls, that's your side of the rope. This goes in the middle. Now, we're going to have a tug of war. This is girls, you two girls over here. We're getting there. All right, so this is one team. Yeah. Guys, woo versus girls. I think it's pretty obvious who's going to win. I mean, come on. So, yeah. (laughs) So the competition is this. Whoever can get this past the third chair on each row is the winner. So this has to be in the middle. Come, let go a little bit. She's not even wanting to. There you go. So uh, be careful. Don't pull each other over and cut. My mom's old, you guys. Be careful with her. Okay. All right. So on the count of three, we're going we're gonna to start the, this tug of war. But if you guys need to plan or do anything first, then you can certainly do that. You guys need to do. Okay. One, two, three, go. Go. <laughs> All right, the girls won. No, 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 get out of here. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so the whole point of that ridiculous illustration. It's not to make you look silly. <laughs> that you do all on your own, my dear. Okay, let's take a vote. How many of you would like to be on the team that was working in opposition of each other? I think one was facing the opposite direction, I'm pretty sure. 
One didn't even have their hand on the rope. I believe Dan was just barking orders. He didn't have any idea what was going on. And how many of you would want to be on the winning team who was all working together and doing what they were supposed to do? There you go. Now, Paul gives us a very clear picture of what being on a winning team looks like. And we're going to look at that. It's found in Romans chapter 12, and it has to do with using our spiritual gifts for the common good, for, for working together in the church to do what we're supposed to do. So, Romans 12, we're going to read the first eight verses. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but I encourage you to use your own Bible if you have it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is in to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All right. So I want to, you to notice how Paul begins chapter 12. He begins chapter 12 with the word, therefore. Now, we know that if you start a sentence with the word, therefore, you have to kind of go back and see what they were saying before, right? What were they saying before that they would have to say the word, therefore? So we have to understand the context of what, was, what came before this chapter. So chapter 11 is a warning to the Gentiles not to be arrogant, like the Jews. They, the Jews have become arrogant and they um, got broken off from the olive tree. That's what it says in scripture, right? So basically, they, they became arrogant and God opened up the, the kingdom to everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. And God is saying, don't be like them. You don't want to be cut off too. So don't make the mistake of, of thinking that you are chosen people of God. And therefore, you have all these special privileges instead of all these special responsibilities. So it's in that context that Paul begins this next chapter of saying, therefore, therefore, I want you to be a part of the winning team. I want you to take heed to what I'm about to say. And then in verses 3 3, Paul goes on to talk about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and how we're to function as a team within that body. So, yeah, some of us do really well in that area and others do not, right? Having that sober judgment. But just like in sports, the success of a team is really dependent on the cooperation and the function of the team as a whole, not just one individual player. 
Um, I don't know about you, I, I like movies that are based on like real life stories, especially sports movies. I'm not even a sports fan. Um, you will never catch me watching a football game on TV or a baseball game on TV. I will go to one live. I don't know why I like that, but I do. But I, I love movies about like the underdogs or a really great coach who took this losing team and made him great. And there are a lot of movies out there that are based on teams that are losing teams becoming winning teams. Thank you. You are a little chatterbox today. You go, you're on fire for the Lord. You just can't contain it. You let it, you know what? Anytime you just let it out. You just let it go. In, in the movie Coach Carter, Ken Carter, played by Samuel L. Jackson, completely changes the lives of these high school basketball players because he forces them to not just play the game, but to really look at their whole life and, and kind of work on their characters and, and study hard. And so he transforms this basketball team by his good coaching and getting them to work together as a team. In Remember the Titans, not only does uh, Coach Boone, played by Denzel Washington, not only is he a um, great coach and leading um, his team through this undefeated season, he also teaches them to look past racial differences. It's not just about football, but it's about um, embracing the differences that they have and becoming the best team that they can because of those differences. And in We Are Marshall, Coach Jack Lingal, played by Matthew McConaughey, teaches his team how perseverance, not giving up in the face of opposition and tragedy, is not only character building, but, key, but a key to a winning team. So one of the things that a good coach will drill into their players is the need for everyone to do their job and to do it well, right? So if we want to be a part of a winning team, we all have to know what our role is, and we have to play it well, right? Everybody know what their role in this church is? Some of you do, and some of you are like, I have no clue. Well, how many of you have read our vision statement for this church? Anybody? It's on our bulletins. It's on our handouts. You may have read it a long time ago and not remembered it. I think that a good coach and in this case, the coach would be the pastor of the church, is responsible for teaching people what their role on a team is, right? Now, it's not only their responsibility, right? But it is part of their job is to coach them and cheer them on in the role that they have. And I think um, if you've looked at our vision statement before, we'll put it up on the screen there. Let's put that up then you'll see what our vision statement says. This has been our vision statement for 26 years. By the way, we turned 26 this last week. We did have an anniversary. I knew there was an anniversary. There was an anniversary. We are 26 years old. On February 14th, we turned 26. And um, if you go down to the third paragraph in this, it said, well, I'm going to read the whole vision in case you've never read it before. This is what this church believes in. It's been from the very beginning. God gave this vision before we even had our very first service through a group of people praying for this ministry. And to look at it 26 years later, it's a, it just gives me tingles to know that this is exactly who we are, that we've, we're doing what God has called us to do. Our vision is to reach the lost and teach people about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our vision is to create a place where the hurting, the depressed, the frustrated, and the confused can find love, acceptance, help, hope, forgiveness, guidance, and encouragement. 
Our vision is that of teaching and equipping every believer for a significant ministry by helping them discover their spiritual gifts and talents that God has given them. Our vision is to create an environment of peace, love, and intimacy where people can come and worship without reservation. Our vision is to lead others into a deep and meaningful relationship with Christ. So part of being in a church is really talking about where we fit in, in the team. What's our role and how do we um, fulfill that role to the best of our ability? So when it comes to all the players on a team, there's a certain amount of things that everyone needs to know and understand. If you're going to be a part of a team, you have to know this. And knowing what your spiritual gift is, is part of being on a church team, is being a part of a church body. And um, with that being said, in order for any team to function and be successful, every player, including the coach, has to understand four really important truths that Paul mentions in our scripture passage today about being on a winning team. And the first characteristic of a winning team is that they're actively involved, right? I'm not sure who was on the guy's side. They were like, eh, I'll just watch you guys. I don't want to... I'm not going to hell. I think that was Rich. Rich, did you even have your hand on the rope? Good job, buddy. Good job. He's like, I didn't even give him a chance to answer. He's like, never mind. How many of you have ever done the really popular dance, the hokey pokey? Anybody ever do the hokey pokey? Right? Yeah. It's that little song and dance that tells you to put your left arm or your right leg or some other part of your body into the circle. What do you do when it's in the circle? You shake it all about, and then you do the hokey pokey because that's what it's all about, right? That's what that song is about. Now, I know that some of you, Billy, did that dance just this morning, right? As you're getting ready, you're like, do the hokey pokey. He's like grooming his mustache and doing the hokey pokey. Um, But it's this little act of um, sometimes tiring song that reminds us um, at the very end of the song to put our whole self in. We put our whole self in. Well, I think that's a wonderful thing when we think of that song and dance. I'm reminded of this instruction from Paul. In verse 1 where he says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, I urge you to present your bodies. Put your whole self in as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your worship. To present our bodies is Paul's way of saying, put your whole self in and go ahead, shake it all about. It's all right. Let loose. Which means we need to present ourselves to the coach. And we need to say, coach, put me in. Put me in the game. But let me tell you something. When we put our whole self in, that's when you really start enjoying being a part of a team. That's when it gets fun, when you start playing the game. It's no fun sitting on the bench. When we make ourselves available and we start serving alongside other people who are using their gifts, then we find ourselves on a winning team. The second characteristic of a winning team Paul mentions in Romans 12 is that they are humble. This is really important. In Greek mythology, Narcissus would have been a terrible team player. (laughs) Terrible. Now, if you don't know who he is, Narcissus was the young man who saw his own reflection in the pool of water, and then he spent the rest of his life pining after himself. 
He's like, oh, what a beautiful creature. I love you. I can't wait. To, I'll see you tomorrow, right? Just loving himself. We call it narcissism today. Another word, a little less intense, is self-centeredness. In order to be a good team player, we can't have a me mentality. We can't be enamored with ourselves and think that we're better than everyone else. You've heard the expression, there's no I in team, right? In order to be a successful team, we need to understand first and foremost that we are a team, that there are other players. We don't have to do it all, but we should do something. Paul puts it this way in verse 3. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with faith, God has distributed to each of you. You know, the best football teams of all time have been those who didn't have one particular superstar. Rather, the team who had all these ordinary players who just did their job, and they did it well. In order for the church to be successful, it has to understand that there's no one better than the other. We all have different gifts, and when we all serve together, that's when we have this vibrant, alive church. We're all in this together. We, in, we are a, a part of a team. That's when it's joyful to serve. And humility is key to success. Paul was fully aware of how devastating um, pride could be in a church and the consequences of pride in a group of believers. So he cautioned all these Christians in Rome not to think of themselves as more highly than they ought because he saw what it did to the, to the Jews. Pride can destroy a church. When people start to think that they own the church, that they're in charge, look out, because trouble's coming. One of the biggest causes of church splits is often the issue of pride. Now, it may come in the form of like um, doctrinal differences or preferences and differences in styles of worship, but the underlying surf, uh, underneath the surface is the issue of pride. That's why it's so important for each member of the team to have a clear understanding of their role and their responsibility. And each member needs to encourage all the other members, right? They're a part of their team and they need to encourage them. As a team member, my role isn't any greater than your role. When we start to think that what we do is better than somebody else, that's when trouble starts. The third characteristic that Paul mentions on a winning team is that they embrace their differences. We are different. We are all different. One of the things I love about this church is we got like really old people like my dad, who's ancient. <laughs> he was around when they invented, you know, like dirt, yeah. He, I'm, I'm, when I say old, I'm saying old. Yeah, and then we got the really young, these little babes, right? We got, we, we got tall, we got short, we got different colors of skin, we got different personalities, we have different giftings, but we love each other because we embrace each other's differences. We all have different strengths, we all have different weaknesses, but with those differences comes challenges because... They're so different than us that we can't really understand them. We don't understand 
who they are and why they do the things they do. Within the team, the local church, there are different people with different backgrounds. They look at things differently. We say things differently. We understand things differently. As a team, we need to learn to embrace those differences, though, and, and use them to finish the puzzle, right? Your puzzle piece looks very different than mine, but they all go in and they fit together. So the choice is really up to us. Do we embrace our differences or do we and have it make us stronger or do we let it divide us? That's why fellowship within the church body is so important. Um, we put out our calendars a few weeks ago, our yearly calendar of the events that we're having, and, and that's why we do that. That's why we put all those extra events together throughout the year so that we can fellowship together. We can get to know each other. You know, this year, if you haven't picked one up, you need to pick one up. I counted, we have over 30 meals that we're sharing together this year. Awesome. Coming together, breaking bread, getting to know each other, playing games afterwards, and I encourage you, when that soup um, bar comes, sit at a table with somebody you don't know very well and get to know them. I want you to look at your hand. Just pick a hand. It doesn't matter. Right, left, doesn't matter. Look at, look at one side. Look at the other side. My fingers are really fat. Are your fingers fat? Yeah, we got fat fingers. Where'd that come from? Moms aren't fat. Right? Move your fingers about. Make a fist. Point at your neighbor, right? Don't, don't use the wrong finger to point. Just, you know, <laughs> be good. Some of you, I see you already getting a smirk on your face. You know, the hand is an amazing thing. And it allows us to do a lot of different things. We can type. We can sign our name. We can pick things up. We can hold things like babies. We can open doors with it. Those who have lost the use of their hand they know how important the hands are. But what if we were to break one of our fingers? It doesn't even need to be like one of the major players. Let's say it's the ring finger. We break the ring finger. And we have to have a splint on it. Big old splint on our hand. And everything becomes more difficult. Zipping your pants up. Getting toilet paper off the roll. And then doing what comes next. <laughs> Opening a door. Holding a baby. Just because you've lost the use of one of the fingers on your hand. Yes, we can still turn a doorknob, but doing so now requ requires more thought. Maybe moving a little bit slower. It wasn't as easy as it used to be because you've lost a member. One of the members of your hand is not doing what it should be doing. The same could be said for you when you don't use your gift within the church. Each of you is different, but each of you are important. All right, let's look at the fourth characteristic. Some of you are already getting tired and ready to zone out. <laughs> They're responsible. Verses six through eight. We see that each of us have a gift, and we have the responsibility to use those gifts within the local church for the glory of God, for the common good of the church. Starting at verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then teach. Good, you're paying attention. (laughs) If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do that cheerfully. Whatever your gift is, do that. Don't try to be something or do something that you're not. Be responsible with what God has given you. Paul mentions that not only are we different, but we have different responsibilities. And if I'm not doing my responsibilities, then nobody is. There are some really valuable lessons, two really valuable lessons in this. First, be the best at your job. Whatever your job is, be the best at it. Do it with all your heart as if you're doing it for who? Me? No, the Lord. God has given you a certain spiritual gift. Therefore, use that gift to your best ability. Paul gives a list of of spiritual gifts in this verse. It's not an all-inclusive list. The point here that Paul is making is that every believer does have a gift, something, at least one, and they should be using that gift for the common good. God has given you something to use for the benefit of this church. If you call this church your home, you should be using your spiritual gift here in some way. He's also gifted you with certain abilities, with certain talents. You can use those in connection with your spiritual gift. I, have, I love doing crafts. And I thought, man, I just, this is a passion of mine. I love it. How can I use that in connection with my spiritual gifts? So we have a craft class on Thursdays. And every Thursday, yeah, there you go. That, that person right there, there you go. So that person that just said you who has become a member of this church through that craft class, right? So God said, well, use your gift. And so I use my, I'm a teacher, that's my spiritual gift, and I love crafts. So I teach a craft class. And as a result, we've gotten three or four church members because of that, because I'm doing what God, I'm responsible with what God has given me. I'm wonderful, aren't I? I'm not, I just, I'm sorry. I'm not doing number two very well right now. I, I, I really hate talking about myself and now I'm like feeling really convicted for doing so. My point is you all have gifts too. And you can be using those within the church to minister to each other. Second, not only do your job to the best of your ability, just do it. (laughs) Even if you do it badly, do it. Do something. Get off the bench. Do something. If the center on the football team thinks that he should also be the quarterback at the same time, right? How's that going to work? Will the team function well? No. Will they win? Probably not. The same is true for the church. Not everyone can be the pastor. Not everyone can be the Sunday school teacher. Not everyone can be on the worship team. Problems arise in the church when people try to do and be something that God hasn't called them to do and be. And yet, God's called them to do and be something that they just aren't interested in. But give it a try. Because I guarantee if you do what God has called you to do, you're going to love it. 
Now, you may go through hardships, and there may be days that you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. But let me tell you something. That's when you find real joy. It's when you're serving and doing what God has called you to do. Problems arise in the church when people try to do and be things that they're not and shouldn't be, but they also arise when members simply just don't do their job. They're like, well, you know what, there's a lot of other strong guys on this team, and those girls are all really short. (laughs) Did you guys notice that? I picked all the short girls. (laughs) I don't even need, I just need to be up here for moral support. Well, let me tell you something. I love your moral support. That's great, but get in the game. Get in the game. The church is not a place for spectators. God doesn't want you to sit on the sidelines. He really, really, really wants you in the game. So be responsible and learn how to grow and develop your gift so that you can be a contributor to the team. Before I go on, I do want to remind you, at the end of this series, we're going to have a big potluck after church, and we're going to do a spiritual gift survey so you can... Find out what your spiritual gift is, and then we'll have a time where we could talk about how that gift can be used within the church. That's, that's, that's a sprinkle on top of the Sunday. So it's not on the yearly calendar. It's not the Sunday. It's the sprinkles on top. That's just an extra program. <laughs> that's good. So I don't like watching sports on TV. However... If I were to be a sports fan, it would be college football and it would be Alabama State. Because let me, there's been several movies already made about the people on this team. Um, that, the, what, that guy, um, the blind side, he was on this team. Alabama State has won 18 national championships. The only other football team, college football team that's won more is Yale or Harvard, one of those two. But the last time they won one was like 1902 right? So really, these guys are the ones who have won the most in recent time. 18 national championships. And I don't know if you could see very faintly that whole bottom row is being highlighted there. That's because that whole bottom row, all six of those wins were under one coach. Anybody know who the coach was? Seb. Yes, very good. Saban, the most in college football history, the most wins. He's won seven altogether, but six of them with Alabama State. There you go, right? So what was his key? What, what made him such a good coach? And he was asked that question. And I will give you one guess as to what he said. Teamwork. <laughs> Is he a Christian? I don't know. He could be, but teamwork. They said, well, how do you get all these winning teams? And he said, know how to use your team. Don't just focus on one player. Use the whole team. He was notorious for developing a team that enabled every single player to shine, to be the best at what they did within the framework of a team. He said everyone understood their role clearly, and they all perform at their highest level because of it. Know what your role is. God has put us together on a team, and it's called a church. And more specifically, it's called the Salvation Army Shug, right? The Shug. (laughs) What'd you say? Did you say word? Oh, I thought you said word. (laughs) The Shug, word. (laughs) I'm hearing things. There you go. It's the responsibility of each of us to get in the game and to use our gifts to ensure a successful uh, church. 
I want to close by sharing a story with you, and um, you may have heard it. It's about uh, a, a church, some people in a church. It's about four particular people in a church whose names were everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Got that? Everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Now, this particular church had some financial responsibilities, and everybody was asked to help. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but you know who did it? Nobody. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Then the church grounds needed some work, and somebody was asked to help. But somebody got mad because anybody could have done it, and after all, it really was everybody's job. In the end, the work was given to nobody, and nobody did a fine job. And on and on it went. Whenever work was to be done, nobody could always be counted on. Nobody visited the sick. Nobody gave his time. Nobody shared his faith. In short, nobody was a very faithful member. Finally, the day came when somebody left the church and took anybody and everybody with him. And guess who was left? Nobody. nobody. Isn't that a sad story? Let's not be that church, right? Let's allow God's love to be the motivating force behind what we do, the love and grace of God. Let it be the guiding force in our life. Let's use our gifts to minister to one another, to build each other up, and to be a part of a winning team. Well, may the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Love one another. Be good. Go get your kids, because I don't...